0: Church is all about passionate people who build authentic relationships to reach limitless potential and serves Orange County, California. For more information, visit us online at the OCMovement.com. We hope you enjoy this message from all right, all right. Good morning. That's like my litmus test for how this is gonna go today. So I, that means I'm preaching for about an hour and a half right now. Good morning. Oh, we're down to at least an hour and 15. This is awesome. This is going to be a good day. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, man. I'm so glad that you're with us today for week three of our series called The Watchmen. And uh, we're excited about this series because this is a, a precursor to what we believe God is doing in the movement church and what he's doing in this region. And here's the exciting part. You are a part of that. This series is not a spectator series. This is a participator series. I don't know if that's how you're supposed to say it, participator. That's a Texan in me coming out. But this is where you get to be a part of what God is doing. And this series is based upon a scripture found in Ezekiel chapter three, verses seventeen through nineteen. And this scripture is a. It's pretty potent. It's pretty powerful. But it talks to Christ's followers. So if you're here today and you're a Christ follower, then this scripture is specifically written to you and to me. If you're here and you're not sure where you stand in your faith, maybe somebody dragged you and promised you a great meal afterwards, you get a hall pass. Congratulations. For those of you who say, man, I've given my life to Christ, listen to this passage of scripture and the responsibility that it places on you and me with regards to the lives of the people in our sphere of influence. Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, it says this, Son of man, I've made you a watchman for the family of Israel. Whenever you hear me say something, warn them for me. If I say to the wicked, you are going to die, and you don't sound the alarm warning them that it's a matter of life or death, they will die, and it will be your fault. I'll hold you responsible. We're going to pause right there. This sounds very intense, and that's because it is an intense passage of scripture. And what it's saying is merely this, that if we hold the keys of hope and we know the truth of the resurrection power of who Jesus is, in other words, that Jesus dies so that we might have life and life more abundantly, yet we refuse to share the truth of God's word. We're responsible for those in our sphere of influence. We're responsible because we are watchmen. We wrote a watchman's creed, and I want to read it to you. I love it because I wrote it, and I feel like that makes it awesome. And so all of you should have this memorized and get it tattooed on your body somewhere. Hopefully your neck would be a good place. And here's what it says. Watchman, holding the keys to hope, yet failing to reveal the truth, means that I am accountable as a watchman. As a watchman, I will stand for what is true. I will be moved by compassion and driven by generosity. On my watch, I will pray for and invest in the lives of those around me. I will look for opportunities to share my story and my faith. I recognize the role I play is significant not only to my purpose, but to the purpose of those I influence. The time for action is now. I will no longer be silent, for I am a watchman. We're unpacking four principles to being a watchman over the course of four weeks as we read through the book of Nehemiah. A man who heard about the state of the wall in Jerusalem and was deeply burdened and grieved for the people that lived there. He was in captivity and never had been to his homeland, but he heard that the wall was torn down and in disrepair and that the people were vulnerable and susceptible to any type of attack, that their morale was gone, defeated. It was was empty, and they were longing for someone to help revive purpose on the inside. We've been discussing what our purpose as a watchman is, and number one, we talked about how it's our responsibility first to pray. Nehemiah's first response to hearing of the state of the wall in Jerusalem was to pray to God. He said, oh God of heaven, would you hear my cry and listen to my prayers? And I believe that as watchmen, we are responsible not just to hope something good happens, but to pray that God would do something amazing in the lives of your neighbors, your co-workers, your family members, your friends, and in this region. But then after that, Nehemiah didn't just stop with prayer. You see, he went and he spoke to the king and he said, would you send me to repair the wall? And when he got to Jerusalem, his first step was not to rally the troops, but he walked around the wall to see where the broken pieces were. He surveyed the wall. And I believe the second part for you and I as watchmen, which we talked about last week, is that we've got to survey the wall of our life and find out the places that are broken or in disrepair. The things that we need to adjust, to fix, to remove. And allow God to do a work in us because, listen, every great move of God always begins with a great move of God in somebody. And he wants to work through you and me. So first is to pray. Second is to survey. And today we're talking about how you and I as watchmen are born to build. It's not enough just to pray. It's not enough just to look inside and figure out what are the things that I need to adjust and to do and let God do something in me. We must skip to the next step as well, which is to allow God to do something through me. We were born to build. We were born to build. And today we're going to jump through the the chapter 3 of the book of Nehemiah and discover how God really did create us to build. And Nehemiah is going to illuminate a few areas, four specific things, and how you and I were born to build. We're going to start with Nehemiah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. So Nehemiah, he's prayed and asked God to do something awesome. He goes to Jerusalem. He surveys the wall to discover where is it broken down, and what do we do? And then he comes to the people of Jerusalem, and he says, hey, we've got to repair and build this wall. So they begin construction. And in chapter 3, it's very interesting. Nehemiah, who is the author, oddly enough. That wasn't, that wasn't funny at all. I thought that was much better. Lisa, chuckle. No? Nothing. I'll continue. Nehemiah chapter 3. What he begins to do in this chapter is name the people who are doing the work. And have you ever been trying to read the scripture and you came to that passage that said so-and-so begat so-and-so and and -and so-and-so begat so-and-so and And you're thinking is this all that the bible is about how do we skip past this section well that's what this entire chapter is about and i'm going to read all of it and what's interesting is we actually can discover some truths in here for you and for me nehemiah begins to unpack who is helping him build the wall And I'm going to try to say their names, but I'm definitely not Hebrew, so I'm going to butcher some of them. Please don't judge me. Verse 1, then Eliashib, what a great name, the high priest rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. That word built, it's important. Now remember the Bible wasn't written in English, it was written, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the New Testament was written in Greek. And as we translate the words, sometimes they lose the significance of the fullness of their meaning. And you get this, right? Because if you ask your wife, how are you doing? And she says, fine. That doesn't mean fine. And she says, fine. That means you're dead. It's over. Right? Also, I love the cowboys. I love a good burger. And I love my wife. That's confusing, isn't it? And so, (laughs) I'm not going to tell you which order. That's not important for this conversation. Stop judging me right now. But as we explore the meaning of these words, sometimes it unpacks not different, but just kind of more fullness to it. In this word built, to build, what it literally means in Hebrew is to establish, to cause something to continue. You see, these men weren't just repairing a wall for protection for that day, but they were repairing a wall for generations to come. It also means to build a home. So the men and women who are listed in this next passage of Scripture recognize that we're not just repairing a wall for a wall's sake, but we are building a home for generations to come so that people all around the area can come and belong here. It moves on to say, They consecrated it and they set its doors. They consecrated it it as far as the Towers of Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel... They stopped in the middle, in the very beginning of their work. And they said, God, we dedicate this work to you. Verse 2, it says this. And next to him, they go through this list of people. And next to him, being Nehemiah, the men of Jericho built... And next to them, Zachar, the son of Emir, built. The sons of Hesninehah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and they set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And next to them, Miramoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hazak. And all of these men began to repair. And that word repair is actually significant. It's used 35 times in this chapter alone, repair. 35 times. It has a significant meaning. It literally means to strengthen, to encourage to make strong, to make bold, isn't that what we should be as a church? A community where we build a home where anyone can belong. And when you walk through the doors, regardless of your creed, your faith background, your past, when you walk in, you feel a community that encourages you, that strengthens you, that makes you feel strong and gives you the boldness to go back out into the world that we live in and make it another week. Isn't that what the house of God should be? Has anyone ever experienced something different where you walked in and you felt shame or condemnation? Well, far be it from us as the movement church to build a house like that. Let us be a a home or a place where we repair the walls of every person who walks in this building. That when they come in, they leave encouraged. They leave excited. And even though they may have had a rough week, a rough month, a rough year, they leave thinking, you know what? If I've got friends like this and a God like that, I can make it one more day. Right? Isn't that who we should be? Man, I'm going to preach really fast now. That's good. That's who we should be. So Nehemiah is unpacking all the people and what it is that they're doing. And I believe there are four facets or four components of how we're born to build that we can pull from these next passages of Scripture. Point number one being stop doing nothing. Turn to your neighbor and say, stop doing nothing. If you're not taking notes, write this down. Stop doing nothing. Now, I originally had don't do nothing. And I heard that's a double negative. I don't care. I don't care stop doing nothing is a double negative. Just stop doing nothing. Listen to this passage of scripture, verse 4b. And next to them, Zadok, the son of ba- Banana, repaired. And next to them were the Tekoites repaired. But look at this passage. Listen to this passage. But their nobles, the nobles of the Tekoites, would not stoop to serve their Lord. Now, can you imagine if you were one of the chosen people to be reserved in the annals of history in the written word of God, and you were attached to a statement that says they would not stoop to serve their Lord. Now, isn't it unique that what it doesn't say is the nobles wouldn't build the wall. It says they would not serve their Lord. What does that mean? means that they were expected to do something. They were born to build. And doing nothing was unacceptable. I don't know why, if it was because they didn't want to get their hands dirty, or maybe because they felt it was lower than them, or maybe maybe they might have been from Orange County, and convenience was the chief enemy of doing something for the Lord. Well, (laughs) that's what they say in the South, so you can say that if you feel that it's cool. In the annals of time, their names are reserved because they failed to serve the Lord. Stop doing nothing. Listen, nothing can very easily become something that will eventually jack up your everything. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You ever ask this question to a friend or spouse? Say, hey, what are you thinking about? Nothing. And you're thinking, I don't know if I want to ask that again. And that nothing becomes a a molehill that erupts into a mountain. And you're awake at 3 a.m. trying to figure out how you're going to solve this argument you've been in for two hours. Anybody ever been there? Raise your hand. Awesome. The rest of you are liars. Yeah, we're judging you. Right? Nothing can very easily become something that will eventually jack up your everything. Stop doing nothing. You were born to build. Listen, stop making excuses. You were born to build. But you don't understand I'm tired. I get it. I get it. You don't understand how much I have to do. You don't understand what's on my plate right now. You don't understand where I've come from. You don't understand what I've got to do right now in this season. Fine, I'm not asking you to jump in and build and serve for 40 hours of your week. I'm just saying stop doing nothing. Why? Because for every action and every step that you and I take, someone's life is on the other side of that. Yes! For all of the history of mankind, God has used people to do something amazing in the lives of other people. He doesn't use this random shamu on the wall. Or this random inanimate object. No, he uses living and breathing, jacked up people like you and me. Not you, the person sitting next to you. I'm so sorry. But you feel what I'm saying. So stop doing nothing. Why? Because you were born to build. Number two. Number two. Stop doing nothing. Number two. You've got the right stuff, baby. Any new kids on the block fans in here? Some of you are like, new kids on the block. I don't, are they with the Beatles? I'm not really sure. you got to, I listened to this song last night for like an hour. The right stuff. It's really actually horrible when you go back and listen to it. But man, in the day, Donnie, you know what I mean? Like that guy could sing, right? Right? Any, no new kids on the block. Do y'all remember when they, do you remember when they tried to come back with N-K-O-T-B? That didn't work too well, did it? Stop doing nothing, but listen, you've got the right stuff. I can't stop singing that song in my head. You've got the right stuff. You do. Now, I'm not talking to the person on your right or your left, but you have what it takes to build. Why? You were born to build. Listen to this. Nehemiah, verse 3, verses 8 through 9. Chapter 3, verse 8 through 9. Next to them, Uzziah, the son of Harariah, they were goldsmiths, also repaired. And next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. And next to them, Raphahiah, the son of Hur, who was ruler of half of the district of Jerusalem, he also repaired. We've got a goldsmith, a perfumer, and a mayor. This sounds like a cheap joke, doesn't it? Right there. They all walked into a bar and then... So who, we have... Listen, guys, these were not... Men who were tradesmiths in the area of masonry. They were goldsmiths. They were in the corporate America. Blue collar and white collar alike. They were in retail. They were government and city officials. They didn't know how to work a trial. They had to learn. So it doesn't necessarily matter what your skill set is. Or what your ability is. In fact, the most important ability in the work of the Lord is Availability that's worth writing down the most important ability you have in the work of the lord is availability just simply saying yes okay i may not know exactly how to do it but i'm in i'll learn i'll take it till i make it come on somebody i heard it said a different way learn as you earn i like that's a little bit better right you don't have to have every specific hey listen To build the kingdom of God by building the church. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to be ordained as a licensed pastor of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You just simply need to be available. To say, man, what can I do? I'm in. I'm going to help build. And we're not just talking about proverbial walls here. We're talking about building the church. Do you realize That the victory has already been won. Jesus paid the price so that all humanity, if they say yes to him, can experience life and life more abundantly. But the challenge is we've got to get the word out. And he uses people like you and me through the covering of a church to make a difference. And we build the church together. Building a home where anyone can walk in and belong. Just be available. You were born to build, and you have what it takes. You have what it takes. What's crazy about this is God actually knew exactly what your skill set and your talent is, and he created places for each of us within the body of Christ to do something amazing. Jeremy's up here with his man bun doing this. That's what that's called, man bun. I'm just helping you. It's not, yeah, it's fine. You can hashtag that. It's what that is. He does this whole... On his tippy toes and I don't know how he balances and taps the little pedal. And by the way, if you want to have a lot of fun after service, just come and turn all the knobs on that pedal board. He will love it so much. And he's got this gift mix to do that so well. I should never do that. You've already heard me sing. You've got the right stuff. Now, I know you want to hear me sing some more. But that's not my gift mix. We have a team of people right now in this room who are introverted and quiet, and they're in the best place in this entire room. Would y'all all look back at the tech booth? Look, they're ducking right now. They are turning around. <sighs> Jessica literally, she's crumbling into the fetal position. Why? Because she loves to be behind the scenes, making sure the details happen. So that every crackle and pop, not Rice Krispies, but crackle and pop that comes out of the speakers, it's not a distraction, but it actually makes sense for you. You track it with me. You know we have somebody in this church who just simply loves to run errands. Don't you want to hire her? Right? That's that's like my personal hell is running errands. And she loves it. So she builds the church by running errands for people. There's a place for you. Yeah, your skill set is specifically tied and we've actually created an avenue for you to discover what you were created to do. It's called our Welcome to Church Pottery if you say anything in settle, the anointing happens and everybody smiles. Every second Sunday of the month, next week, across the hall in our pate room. See, you're smiling. It's okay. Some of you never come back. That's all right. Every second Sunday of the month, we have our welcome to church party. It's the first step in discovering God's purpose for your life. You also get to find out the heartbeat of who we are. And if you've never been, get your tail end in there next week. No more excuses. Stop doing nothing. You're born to build. And you've got the right stuff. You've got the right stuff. Number three, include your family. Include your family. I love this passage of scripture. Verse 12. Next to him, Shalom, the son of (laughs) Helashish. I'm trying. Stop hating me, Bible scholars that are out there. I'm trying. Ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired he and his daughters. Guys, listen. God doesn't just call individuals, He calls families. He calls families. Look at me in the eyes. Include your family. Well, I don't technically have children. Okay, find a friend, bring them with you, make them your family. Are y'all tracking me? Include your family. Include your family. I'm telling you, there's nothing, there's no better place for your family to be than in the house of God, helping build a place where other people can come and experience the fullness of who Jesus is. There's no better place to be. And I'm telling you right now, you want to raise great kids, then get them consistently in the house of God. Don't kind of flirt with church once every six weeks, and when they get 16, come crying to me like it's my fault that you jacked up your kids. I love everybody in this house. I was a youth pastor for 12 years. And you would try to tell me that I come to church once every six weeks. And then when they're 16 going buck wild crazy, it's my fault because you didn't consistently get them in a place where they're going to be encouraged and told there's a better way to live. That God's a part of their life and that they've got purpose and destiny. Come on, people. Are you tracking with me? Get them in here. Hey, everybody, if you got in your seat, grab that worship guide. little foldable piece of paper, beautiful. Uh, pull that out, just hold it up real quickly. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Do you know that this morning, nine and ten-year-olds put that out on every seat in here? And they do it every week. And they have a system. I know because I tried to change it and I almost got fired from the church. <laughs> you think I'm kidding. Every week, today, Trey Parham, ten years old. Got up at the butt crack of dawn to come set this church up. Come on, you want to tell you want to try to tell me that that is that kid going to make poor choices? Yeah, we all do, but he's got his best foot forward. Why? Because his parents said, "Hey, we were born to build, and we're going to build the church together." Why? Because there's too many people outside the walls of the church who need to know what it's like inside the walls of a church. Not that this place is full of better people, but no, it's a place where you can belong, you can be encouraged. You can be built up. You can find boldness to make it through the week. Bring your kids to church. Listen to these statistics. Statistics. Listen, real statistics now. If neither parent attends regularly, but their children do, which happens sometimes. We have some kids in the neighborhoods of other people, and their parents aren't involved, but neighbors bring their kids to church here. If neither parent attends church on a regular basis, but the child does, Statistically, there's only a 6% chance that they'll remain faithful to the cause of Jesus Christ. If only mom attends regularly, 15% will remain faithful. If only dad attends regularly, 75% will remain faithful. Listen to this. Hey, dads, that's, if that's not a cue for you and me, I don't know what is. I don't know what is. Listen, please, it just isn't in my notes, but don't, don't just follow the coattails of your wife to church. You get up and get your family here. Hey, listen, I know I know. a lot of times uh, as dads, we walk into a building and we feel like it's just gonna be kind of a, a lamb blast and just kind of knock you out. But no, that's not how we roll at the movement church. That's not how we roll here. But just get your kids to church. Listen to the statistic. If both parents, if both mom and dad attend church regularly, there's a 72% chance of their children remaining faithful to Jesus. Guys, if that's not a statistic to keep your family involved... I don't know what is. And let me just say for a moment, if you're here and you're a single mom or dad, there's nothing wrong with that. You just stay faithful and we'll help with you. Hey, we're in this journey with you. Are you tracking me? You're going to clap, clap. Come on, let's do it. Hey, listen, some of you men in this room, some of you men in this room, you've got enough time in your schedule where you can kind of adopt the child of a single mom. Are you with me? Now, I don't mean legitimately, but you know what I'm saying. You need to get your rear end working. I'm sorry. I'm a little angry today. I love everybody in this place. But can you imagine how cool it would be if in our children's ministry, you walked in and you just saw a bunch of dads in there loving and high-fiving kids and saying, you're going to make it. There's going to be purpose. Statistically, we'll change Orange County. You feel what I'm saying? So listen, you were born to build. You were born to build. Stop doing nothing. You've got the right stuff. Include your family. Include your family. And listen, the last point is this. Your past can't stop you. You were born to build. Your past cannot stop you. Man, I'm smoking on time today. Your past cannot stop you. Listen, I'm going to give you a little Bible history. Listen to this. This is verse 14. Malchiah the son of Rehab, That's how you pronounce that, for real. It's true. Rechab, Ruler of the district of beth Kerem. Repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it and set its doors and its bolts and its bars. The name I want you to focus in on here is Malchiah. It doesn't sound like it's pronounced that way, but that's how it's pronounced. Malchiah. So now remember, Nehemiah is in Jerusalem. And he was in captivity in Persia for his entire life. In fact... The Jewish people at this point in time had been in captivity for 150 years, but God always raises up watchmen. And just 10 years prior to Nehemiah making it to Jerusalem, he raised up another prophet named Ezra, who came to try to restore hope. But the challenge is not everybody wants to listen when you're restoring hope. And there's a passage found in in Ezra chapter 3 where he begins to call out some of the leaders of Jerusalem and say, hey, get your life together. It's not acceptable for you to live the way that you want to live. You know better than this. And one of the men that he mentioned in chapter 3 of the book of Ezra is this guy named Malchiah. He called him out and said, stop being an idiot. You know better. You know what the word of God says and you're living contrary to what it says. And what I love about the word of God is it exemplifies and it communicates the redemptive plan of Jesus. Hey, look at me in the eyes. You need to know one thing that's always at work is God's redemptive plan for you and for me. His promise for you and for me, as long as I've got breath on this earth, he's not finished with my story yet. And for some of us, that's more encouraging than others. And for my boy, Malchiah, who just a few years earlier was getting called out by a prophet of God. Now, towards the tail end of this chapter, he's mentioned as being one of the chief builders of the wall. What does that mean? He got his life together. He got his eyes on who God was. And he began to build again. And I just want to tell you right now, never allow your past To get in the way of serving God. Never allow your past to get in the way of serving God. That doesn't mean it's okay that we live in a life of sin. So if we do, man, repent, set it right, make a stand for righteousness, and get back to serving the Lord. If you've been here for any number of years, you know portion of my story. That I was raised in the house of God. My mom and dad were pastors. My grandfather was pastors. My wife's parents were pastors. I come from three generations of preachers. And I knew how to be good. But I didn't know how to be his. I lived a life of hypocrisy that nobody knew about. Before I got married to my wife, I got involved in a relationship with a married woman. It ended up leading to that family's destruction, and to a place of darkness for me. I don't share that today to boast about it, but maybe for some of you to identify with what it feels like to have a past that's overwhelming, that feels like I'm exempt from what God wants to do in me and through me, to feel like it's over, and God has a hope and a future for everyone else but me. I have some people in a church who came alongside of me to encourage, to help build a home and to help me find boldness again. And I realized, man, God's not done with me yet. And I can't allow my past to get in the way of serving him. You were born to build. So stop doing nothing. Stop doing nothing. You've got the right stuff. Include your family. And remember that your past cannot stop you. Your past cannot stop you. Guys, it is not by accident that you are here in this moment today. The way that God works is like a beautiful conductor of a symphony, and every moment of your life has been building to this moment in history to a crescendo. To a place where God's like, hey, I'm going to use you to build up other people. So get to work. Pray first. Survey the walls. But don't forget, it's time to build. Why? Because you were born to build. Not some obscure thing, but build in the church that you call home. Why? So that we can repair the walls. When people walk in broken and hurt and abandoned, just like I was just a few years ago. We as a church can come together. And say, hey, don't worry about it. We're all jacked up here. We're just working on getting better. And guess what? You were born to build. You've got purpose. You can do this. Hey, Christ, Father, you're a watchman. You're a watchman, and you were born to build. You were born to build. Listen to me. Look me in the eyes. For one minute. we're almost done. Some of you in this room are sitting. And you need to be serving. You've been a part of the church for weeks, months, maybe years. And it's time to jump on the team. Some of you are serving and you need to be leading. I don't know, Pastor Carey, if I can. Hey, you've got the right stuff. It's time to lead. And some of you in this room have been consuming and you need to be Investing. You need to be investing, not just with your life, but with every aspect of who you are. Amen. You are born to build. You were born to build. I want to take a moment and just talk to a few of you. You say, man, I can identify with your story, Pastor Carey. Or I can identify with feeling like there's a space or a gap between me and who God is. I feel like every time I try to get closer, that gap is just getting wider and wider. And I can't seem to connect in the way that you connect. And I want to so desperately. And I would just tell you the Bible actually talks about that gap. It's called a sin gap. And everyone in this room has sin in their life. And sin has a very grave and sobering consequence. Nobody gets to escape this thing. Sin's consequence is death and eternity in hell. That's the consequence for the punishment of sin. But God sent his son Jesus to pay the price or the ransom for your sin and mine. You see, he died on the cross. And he took the sin and the shame of every human to ever walk the face of the planet. And he said, I'll pay the consequence. And when he did that, he closed the gap, creating a way for you to have a relationship with God and to experience an eternity in heaven. And if you're here today, you don't have to get perfect to experience this. In fact, the Bible calls it a gift, which means it's free. You can't earn it. You can't attend church enough to experience it. All you simply have to do is say yes to Jesus. And in just a moment, I'm gonna pray a prayer and I'm gonna challenge those of you who are here that have never prayed that prayer, man, in your own heart, I want you to repeat after me and make that covenant to Jesus saying, I give you my life and close the gap so you can experience the fullness of who God is. And there are some of you who are here today and you've been running from God. Maybe you've been allowing your past to open or expand that gap. And today's the day to come back. When I pray that prayer, I want to challenge you. Just repeat after me. And Why don't you come running back to who he is. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. Nobody looking around. Heads bowed. Eyes closed. In a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer. And I'm going to ask everyone in this room to pray it out loud so nobody's embarrassed. And we're not going to embarrass you. or ask you to get out of your seat. But if you're here today and you have never prayed this prayer, don't leave this room without saying yes to Jesus. And if you're here today and you've been running from God, today is the day to come back. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Everyone repeat after me to say, dear God, I know that you're real. I know that you love me, That you've given me purpose. You created me to build, but I've got sin in my life. Would you forgive me? Thank you for sending Jesus to pay the ransom for me. Now, everyone in this room, heads bowed, eyes closed, just repeat this phrase after me. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today. Find out more about us at theocmovement.com. Or, we'd love to meet you in person this Sunday. Until next time, Orange County.